This is the Work Smart Hypnosis Podcast, session number 337. Tony Macri Reiner on conversational neuroscience. Welcome to the Work Smart Hypnosis Podcast with Jason Lynette, your professional resource for hypnosis training and outstanding business success. Here's your host, Jason Lynette. Hey, before I get into the introduction of this week's episode, I have to tell you, I am getting some of the best feedback of some of the most recent episodes. And it's not just for the fact that if you do something for like seven years, you start to kind of figure it out. Well, that might be a part of it. It's this reality that by reaching out to people that many of you might not yet know, or chances are have seen in passing at conferences, and just to say it simply, they're just too damn busy working with a bunch of people and creating an incredible impact in their local communities that we don't yet know them as star instructors, trainers, and so forth. And I shared this previously on this program that yes, when we have the big name person, the guru in the industry, bunch of downloads right away, but it kind of tapers off over time. The episode's kind of like the one that you're about to listen to and as a preview with many others that have already got recorded and ready to go for episodes coming your way. It's the ones like the one you're about to listen to that get the best traction over time. These are the ones that go viral because you can identify with the story. These are the ones that get shared because there's these tiny nuances. We're really just diving into a person's practice and seeing what's working right now. I mean, this is where we've created the brand of the hypnotic worker. You want to make sure if you're ever taking a training, ensure that that person is actually still seeing clients and not just teaching what they did 15, 20 years ago, any hypnosis training that you take should follow the model of here's what's working right now versus here's the historical record of what we did many years ago. And I just love the conversation you're about to hear with Tony Macri Reiner, uh, who brings in a whole theme of conversational neuroscience, how it is that we can integrate research into the work that we do, how it is that you can hear her story from a background in pottery, like most of us had, uh, to eventually getting involved with hypnosis and discovering here's a way to help other people and now doing everything from offering services to people locally and around the world, as well as filling up her trainings and really helping to build the future of this incredible profession. Though again, let's go back to this topic of conversational neuroscience. The opportunity, that really what we're doing, as I would simply describe it to my clients, there's a very simple formula inside of all that we're about to do. We're going to identify the patterns that are already there in your life, appropriately interrupt them so they don't work the same way, so that then you can be the one to create these new pathways in your mind. Makes sense? And they always say yes, because it's hitting that description in a very non-jargon rich way. And Tony has some amazing ways of expressing the same concepts too, and especially even better, how it is that we can layer in techniques, how it is that we can teach, and how it is that we can achieve so much of the hypnotic change before ever formally saying, close your eyes, let's now do hypnosis. This is a conversation you're probably going to want to listen to at least twice to hear some of the nuances of how to layer in these techniques and run so much of what we do from a covert conversational perspective. You can head to the show notes at worksmarthypnosis.com to see how to connect with Tony, to get links to her websites, plural, because there's one for training, one for the personal services. 
We'll make that easy for you, as she has a name that people make a lot of wrong guesses on as well. Mine too. Uh, so get go over to worksmarthypnosis.com forward slash 337. That'll redirect over to the show notes of this episode to see how to best get in contact with Tony. I mentioned learning what's working right now. This is where Hypnotic Workers is on one part, the all access pass to my hypnosis training library. What's working right now? What are the techniques I actually use with my clients? What it's morphed into over time is a community of practitioners all around the world with the same phenomenon-based style of approach. Because think about this, your client's issue is kinesthetic. Even if you've got a person in front of you who is visually oriented or more auditorily centered, their issue is kinesthetic because they don't like how they feel and they want to change how they feel. So it kind of makes sense to use a fair amount of hypnotic phenomenon in your process, not just for the sake of the cool hypno stunt, though you are going to learn some really cool hypno stunts instead, not even from the perspective of convincing. Let's set that aside, even though it will negate the issue of, I felt relaxed. I don't know if I was hypnotized. It's because instead, by properly using hypnotic phenomenon in a way that the client can feel the hypnosis is creating a change, that's what's going to, as we've already said, interrupt the map of what's already there to make it even easier to introduce the new roadmap moving forward. Uh, this isn't the game where we say you can get this module for this price or this one because systems for change. Hypnotic Workers is the digital brain dump of everything, including full sessions from start to finish with real clients. They signed a waiver giving us permission to watch from genuinely walking in the door to walking out the door. If you want to negate the old game of I need a script for this, if you find yourself stuck inside of rigid protocols, or if you're just not yet confident customizing on the fly for the person in front of you, check out hypnoticworkers.com. And here we go, talking about conversational neuroscience. This is episode number 337 with Tony Macri Reiner. Oh, the introduction for me kind of goes back to when I was a teenager and my dad became a hypnotist. He owned, oh, nice. owned a restaurant, yeah. But he became a hypnotist, which was a little odd for me being a teenager who didn't want anything that seemed weird around me and so but he was really interested in past life regression and he went on to do many things you know he was interested in astrology and he became a really excellent numerologist but he did past life regressions and so some of my schoolmates in my catholic school high school would kind of sneak away and go and have a past life regression and to this day sometimes they'll say oh my gosh i'm glad my mother never knew you know but to me it was like well is this making me cool or not so fast forward, I became a potter. I did fine art, fine craft fairs over half the country. And it was getting, I was getting pretty tired of it. It was going on 30 years and um, stuff is heavy. I pulled a trailer. And so I thought, what can I do that incorporates all the things I love? I've always been into self-help and learning more. And I was reading a book, I think Change Your Life in Seven Days, maybe. I don't know, or it was a Bandler book. And I was looking at it and the word hypnosis, I swear there was a red laser that went from my forehead to that word. And it was like, I can do that. I know what that's about. And so yeah. from that point on, I spent about two years transitioning and became certified. And here I am today, about 10 years later. 
Nice. So then I, I'm curious to ask about that artistic background working in it. Is it fair to say pottery? I've had, I've, I've never heard it referred to as a potter. So that's new to me. <laughs> yeah. Potter, I made a certain very niche kind of um, a throne piece on the wheel and then embellished it and they look like women's heads and you could put plants or wine bottles in them. And it was a very, it just kind of caught on. And so that's what I was doing. But what I loved about it is they made people smile I f people told me, it's like, I know this sounds weird, but every time I look at this, I just feel better. And yeah. I was working for myself. And so, and I could be creative. Well, hypnosis to me is so creative and it's not heavy to carry around. So um, <laughs> yeah, that's one of the things I loved about it is that I could be, I can be creative with how I work with people. Yeah, that that's fascinating. And this is now, you know, many times over the years, we've had someone come on and, you know, there's the conversation that often pops up in any training as to, well, I wish I grew up with this stuff. And in some ways you did. So having that around, even though it was eventually a different kind of work than where you uh, mm -hmm. found yourself focusing on, uh, what are some of those takeaways of just having hypnosis around as a kid? It was just kind of became kind of a normal thing that, oh, yeah, you're going to be hypnotized. Okay, just relax. And <laughs> my, you know, and my dad was kind of clear about, yeah, I don't really do family, you know, people. And mm -hmm. the one time he actually tried to hypnotize me, <laughs> I had lost a necklace that I had just gotten. And I just, I had just gotten it. And I really liked it. It was a very popular kind of thing. And I didn't know where it was. So he said, well, I'll hypnotize you and we'll see if we can find it. Well, what he didn't know is that I had skipped school the day that I lost it. So <laughs> not really knowing, I mean, I, I doubt if he did a good pre-talk with me, that I did, was afraid I would blurt out that, oh yeah, I skipped school that day. Yeah. So, you know, that didn't quite work. But I think some of the takeaways, especially being around past life regression, for me was that, okay, this is kind of boring. Sometimes it wasn't. And sometimes the everyday thing that I learned that a lot of past life regression is just going back to life or kind of mundane everyday things. And it's not always that you were Cleopatra or something like that, but yet it can be really exciting to find things out, you know, if you're going in that direction, I guess just that it, my big takeaway is just, it's just kind of a normal thing, you know, and it wasn't yeah. weird and that I could do it because I watched it. I heard it. I think there's a huge takeaway inside of that, that, you know, there's a moment in a training one time where here was, it was like a three weekend event, the way that we had arranged it. And here was who could have been deemed the star student of this event. But then something happened between the second and the third weekend where she's now around her family and they're going, yeah, but people are afraid of that. You shouldn't call it hypnosis. You could see that energy just completely dropped. Oh. And the response had to be, it's not that your family members are saying that, it's that you're agreeing with them. Exactly. And, you know, something happens differently when you're the advocate. I've talked at times around how, even though I'm very clearly in a different industry, growing up with family members that were all entrepreneurs, the idea of launching your own thing wasn't too out of the ordinary. Um, the, the most obscure reference I can pull out is the actor, comedian, what's his name? Uh, Jason Sudeikis, who was on mm -hmm. Saturday Night Live and the Horrible Bosses movies. And there was an interview with him and just this stuck with me where, um, well, what did your parents think about you becoming an actor? Were they cautious about it? And he just pauses and had this perfect response of, oh, you didn't do your homework. 
Uh, <laughs> my my uncle is George Went, you know Norm from Cheers. Like yeah. we weren't close, but you know because he lived on the different coast than us. But the fact that I grew up in a family where someone had done that, it wasn't out of the ordinary. And I think one of the takeaways is this is something that's not necessarily a strength that I have in my way, you have in your way. It kind of goes to that belief system that we put to it that we can create that normalcy of just, yeah, this is what I do. This is a part of society. I can help you with that. Exactly. You know, it kind of goes to the effect when you translates to when you see people with certain issues, you know, I'm really depressed or I have this anxiety. Well, how was your family? Were they depressed? You know, were they really anxious? Oh yeah. My mom was really anxious all the time. And it's that same thing of growing up in that environment. You grow up and your family are all doctors and lawyers and professional people. It's just really easy to go into that. You pick that up the same way you could pick up anxiety which goes to, once again, the genius of a Ron Popeil infomercial at three in the morning. <laughs> There's got to be a better way. Uh, is there, <laughs> is there, it's like, or not, is there a story of working with a client that kind of stands out of, because uh, I know a lot of the work that you do is a bit more of a conversational approach, mm -hmm. you know, along with some of the formal hypnosis. Is there something that stands out of working with somebody where, really a lot of the work had to be changing those belief systems around the issue in addition to the issue itself. Well, you know, any number, I'm blanking on a specific client at the moment, but it's it's so common that, well, when you're working with, with food issues and it's like, well, what was the story? What happened in food? And it's like, um, yeah, my stepmom force fed me. This is a specific story now that I'm saying it. My mm -hmm stepmom force fed me in front of family members. She shoved food down my throat. I mean, that's an awful story, but to go through that and then suddenly you're an adult and you can't eat a lot of things because it brings back that emotion. So, you know, the whole family thing, that might've been not the greatest example for what you just asked me, but it's what came to mind with the family stuff that we go through. Just, I think anxiety would be a big thing with seeing your parents really stressed about stuff and taking it out on the family, even though maybe it's not you personally. And mm -hmm. then you just absorb that this is how you do this. This is how you function in the world is to be anxious. I, I think there's something huge inside of that where sometimes, maybe not always, but sometimes the client's issue is not even theirs. Exactly. It's something that they grew up around and, you know, it's something that just became a part of them. And, you know, I, we, we could find these shortcuts sometimes if I can find the story as to, oh, the cigarettes never needed to belong to you in the first place. Yeah. There's one of the foot feet in the door when this is a rare one, when it was the story as to how an extremely religious family believe that because there was never the intention for human to fly, that's why flying is so dangerous. Like, oh, that's new. Uh, <laughs> but to, to address it from the angle of you can give this fear politely back to the people who gave it to you because it doesn't have to be yours. And the, a really good way I have found to point that out with people that have kids is when they just volunteer to me that, yeah, I've noticed that now my son is just picking at his nails or my daughter just seems really anxious. And it's like they're in the office for anxiety. And it's like, exactly. And 
they are getting this from you. Is this what you want? And, you know, I, I like to throw kids under the bus, you know, with that, because to me, it makes such an impact. Sorry, but you know, it's like, Oh, you smoke, you have kids. Okay. You know, imagine this and imagine that. And, and so I think it makes a big impact when, you know, you have somebody close to your heart that it's like, now you're putting that behavior on them. Do you really want that? Mm -hmm. For anyone out there uh, who's ever cautious around, you know, putting out videos or doing audio programs or like I do this podcast, I go on a bunch of others. Uh, there is no faster way to hear every idiosyncrasy in your own speech and uh, fix that crap really quickly. And as soon as you hear your kid drop one of these extra little tag phrases mm -hmm. that you don't need, I'm like, well, we're going to edit that out right away. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so from the career in the pottery and the artistic side, then getting into hypnosis, what was some of that journey then in terms of getting up and running, getting those first couple of clients in? I did and I don't know if it's a viable thing anymore but I decided to do a living social ad you yeah. know it's like you know uh whatever the other thing is yeah there's Groupon there's living yeah, social Groupon. I think Yelp has a version of it and there, there's a bunch of these out there well um at the time I felt like living social might be a step up from Groupon and they let me do it I had a website I started out kind of in a closet room at a salon that a friend of mine that's a hypnotist, she goes, oh, there's an empty room. And that worked out for about a month. And then I moved on from that. But still, I had a space and um, could see clients. And I just did this ad. And I think it was one session for $80. I probably made maybe $40 off of that. But I saw a lot of clients. And I got really good at nice. upselling to three sessions. I got always was saying, I stay really booked. You know, even when I wasn't, I was just kind of prompting myself with that, with the energy. And um, I know that I, of course, that was the beginning. I don't know what I don't, what I know now, but those clients all had some change. I knew more than they did is how I kept thinking about it. I know more than you do, and I can help you with this. Sometimes an expert just has to be that one person, one step ahead of you. <laughs> That's right. It's like, okay, you don't know how to relax or calm. I can help you do that. So I did see quite a few clients with that. I ran the ad a couple times and it just started then going word of mouth. I've never really done any ads anywhere. Maybe I've done a print ad in a small magazine, local magazine, but I just started talking about it as much as I could and staying excited and of course, taking every course that came my way that I could find and to where I've just kind of um, landed in a place where I have a certain way I work with certain techniques. And, you know, I tell people, you're going to make changes before we even get to the hypnosis. But of course, it's all hypnosis when I'm working, you know, more conversationally with them. And I find hypnosis is just so much teaching. And you know this, Jason, it's like you're constantly educating people. Even when you've had them watch a video about what hypnosis is, you've gone through your spiel, you still are repeating the same things and keeping them educated about what a great tool it is, the benefits of it, and how it isn't anything that's weird. Yeah, yeah. I love what you said about living social, which... You know, when this became, I'd say, more mainstream and more popular, I think probably around like the early 2010s, maybe up until like maybe 2013 or 14, mm -hmm. the, the fault was that so many people put down the entire category. And I, I think there were some ways that some were doing it that were just not as good, that some were doing the three sessions for 99, which mm -hmm. they might have been making $12 a session. Right. But, but the question, though, is, you know, what 
purpose does this serve? It's a different audience that you did not have yet access to. And I think the way you were doing that was great that, you know, it was a time, correct me on this, at that point, there was more of a, a budget of time to put into this. Exactly. And perhaps there was money. So you were using someone else's audience to bring that that first crop of people in. And then really the session was give them the best experience possible so that now here's how we can do more, right? Exactly. Um, I did have plenty of time. And a lot of people just wanted the experience of hypnosis. You know, a number of the, those people, they didn't all end up booking more sessions, of course, but mm -hmm. they had the experience and it was a good experience for them. So they could go on and, and say, I did this, you know, it's cool. I'm sure I helped people stop smoking back then. I don't quite remember those clients, but it was a good experience for me and them. So I thought it was just a win-win. It got my name out and... Um, yeah, help change people's lives without me spending much money to get started. Yeah, I mean, there's always there's always a time cost. There's always, even if you're not spending money on ads, there's always some sort of money cost in terms of acquiring a new client. So if, the, if there's a budget of time and these services are still out there, they may not be as popular as they were before, which probably makes it even more ripe for better use. And I think maybe they've, I've heard people that have tried to do one of those services and they were turned down. So I don't know what the parameters are anymore with that. If they've changed it, I somehow squeaked in. It was meant to be, I guess, but I would encourage people to try that and see well, if they get in to that. I believe living social, I could be wrong on this and we're recording this. So let me go on the record by saying maybe, uh, but I believe Groupon and living social finally did like merge together the same as, you know, oh, for a, bu for a bunch of years. It was Sirius Radio versus XM Radio, and now my yeah. app on my phone says Sirius XM, and it's just one. Um, but so much of it is that they have a template, and it's easier for them to follow a specific template. You're inside hypnotic business systems, and in there I talk about how I was using that to do group sessions. I was doing a group self-hypnosis workshop, and then you know there'd mm -hmm. be 15 people in the room. We would sell that for like maybe $90, I'd get about maybe 45 of that, which the income of that part was good. But then that was my opportunity to then sell one-to-one -one services. And I will unofficially say this, and I know they don't happen to listen to my podcast, so let's go here. Uh, it would be that I just eventually had to just you know put my foot down to say, because they wanted me to do the three sessions 99. Mm -hmm. And I just had to say, it's like, well, I could do that but I'm already filling up my calendar at my full rate. Right. Uh, why, why would I do that? Well, it will give you better exposure. If I wanted exposure, I'd go downtown and drop my pants. So <laughs> no, I'm only, so just because I stuck to my guns and said, this is the one way I'm going to do it. Um, and let's do that. If not, I'm completely okay walking away from this. So, and I, and I've had people replicate that or something similar to what you've done. So just, being direct but polite about it and just saying this is the way I want to do it. Right. And times have changed since I did it. And I think when I did it, I I mean, of course the money was nice and I'm making some money, but that wasn't really the point at all. Yeah. It was just like, let me just see people. Let me just see people. Because as you know, teaching, it's like practice, practice, practice. You don't get better by thinking about it. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's the biggest takeaway from that is that was that opportunity to get really good at what you did, not by sitting in the room and hoping the phone rings, but instead by getting out there, whatever means was possible to be found and actually do the work. Uh, there, there's something you said earlier I want to go back to 
around how that was where you started to find your own style of doing it. So mm -hmm. if you had to kind of characterize, let's say the user experience, someone's reaching out to you, someone's discovering you, what's kind of the journey that they're going through to then eventually become your client? Well, um, because of you, I have, I don't, I do get a few random phone calls where they find me on Google, but generally you have to book a 15 minute call with me. Mm -hmm. And you can't just go to my website to book anything other than that. So we have a conversation. I find out, you know, if we seems like we're a good fit, if it's something I can work with and how they're doing with it, um, book a session. And I'm, I'm both online and going back into my office a little bit now. So I spend 15 to 30 minutes doing an intake because I figure mm -hmm. I've gotten in the middle of, you know, further along and go, oh, my gosh, I didn't I don't know this. I don't know what they you know, what they want or didn't ask this question. So I'm pretty thorough with my intake. And then I say, as I mentioned before, this is all hypnosis. You know, I may have you close your eyes off and on, but we'll do the formal trance in a while. But by then you've made these big changes. So I the first thing I do is I teach everyone faster tapping because yeah. I certified in that. It's such a good technique for anything. So I teach them that we go through some things. Then I do a few more conversational things. I use the arrow a lot because I use Freddie Jacqueline's arrow because I use it for everything, not just pain. Um, and a few more NLP-ish kind of things, moving things away, reframing, things like that as I'm teaching the whole time. And then um, they're already so trancy by the time I move them to my magic chair, you know, that yeah. <laughs> it's just like, close your eyes, go back there pretty right. much. And I, I do tend to do a full relaxation with people, even if it's faster, um, just because I feel like most people need that, that experience. And then we kind of cement in based on what they've told me, you know, future pace, suggestions, post-hypnotic suggestions, and you're good to go. And you know, I used to allow two hours for a session and now I'm pretty much an hour and a half and for a first session after that, it's an hour and sometimes in a half hour, 40 minutes, we're done. Just, I feel like because of the conversational work and yeah. then it's like, let's just cement this in to your unconscious. Well, you know, and you know, we're working with the unconscious the whole time, but I love brain, the neurosciencey thing. So I'm always looking for new little ways to tweak the neurons, the neuron pattern, yeah, well, let, let's come back to the neuroscience here in a moment. I want to go back to something you said, though, which I, I hear that pattern that when I first got started and I was in the same boat, it would be two hours for the session and sometimes it would go over. Nowadays, it's coming in for most clients, with some exception on purpose, to be right at about an hour and a half and really hour 15. What mm -hmm. what changes in that in that format would you say brought in that efficiency? I think I became more honed in on the intake and yeah. I'm much better at stopping them from telling all the detail of the story that I don't need because, you know, and sometimes this last week I had two clients who just wanted to keep going back to the old, old pattern. And I'm kind of like, you're not going to get what you want by focusing on what you don't want. So I think by me keeping them a little more focused on what we want and Hey, I know I'm looping you around. I know I'm repeating, but there's a method to my madness. Just go with me, you know, <laughs> just follow my instruction. So I think that's been part of it. And I just feel, I guess, more confident. I calibrate easier how the client's doing 
rather than spending so much time being sucked into the story. And it's like, oh, that's really interesting. They did what, you know, which is kind of easy to do. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, it's like if you keep focusing on what you don't want and how the problem that got you here, you're never going to get out of it. So that's sort of my philosophy with it. Is there a different way that you're framing some of the process to sort of intro the fact that so much of it is conversational and also so much of it is educational as well? Um, I do tell clients from the beginning, from the first call that I am going to teach them. I do say, and this may not be true, sorry to any any other hypnotist, but I do say I work a little differently than a lot of hypnotists in that mm. you're not just coming in and I'm putting you into an immediate trance or I'm helping you get into an immediate trance. Um, I say, I'm really going to be teaching you things and I'm going to help you learn some ways so that if some of these things should crop up in the future, because of course life happens, um, you're going to know how to get out of it faster and easier and move yourself through it. If the idea, if the thought of a cigarette comes in to you, if you see somebody smoking and the thought, oh, that sounds good, you're gonna know how to nip that in the bud. And I think that's enticing to people to be empowered that, you know, we know hypnosis, they're not under our control. And I don't care how many times you tell them, I still think people have the idea that, oh, what if something happens and I'm not in the session, what am I gonna do? And so that's where I come in with, and I'm, I'm kind of a practical person. I like those things that like, do this, do that, look here, look there, you know, and, and notice the difference. So I, I start from the very beginning. Yeah. And I like that way of introducing it, especially the whole, you know, this way, if something arises, you know how to handle this without me. Exactly. It's not about yeah. that you're, oh, I'm not in your office. And what am I going to do? It's like, well, you know how to do. And if you... I love this phrase. I used to tell, say this, and you know, I try to put a lot of humor in my sessions, but it's like, if you do what I tell you to do, you're going to be successful. And then I'll joke and go, God, I love saying that. I mean, what can, what job do you have where you can go, if you do what I tell you to do, (laughs) but it's true. If you do what I tell you to do, if you use the things I teach you, you're going to be so far ahead. I mean, you know, life is like a spiral. We go through this mucky stuff that happens and then we go around and the next time, Oh, it comes up again. But it's not as bad and I get through it faster. So finally you're on that spiral and it's like, oh yeah, I remember that. Now nah, I'm done. Mm-hmm. Well, th- there's a phrase that I forget if I shared it on here, if it was inside one of the programs. And I love moments like this where, and I, and I tell my athletic clients the moment where it's like, there's something I said one time in an educational resource that a lot of my clients loved. And when I told it to hypnotist, they hated it. <laughs> and it was the, the mentality of the athlete that the athlete knows their ailments, that they understand that, okay, mm-hmm. so I've worked with power lifters. When I kink my back that weird way, here's what I do on the yoga ball. Here's how I foam roll it out. Here's how I recover from that faster. Um, when it was the gymnast who had a history of a hairline fracture and landing inappropriately on her foot, it meant that she knew how to compensate for that so she could still compete even if there was a trace of the mild injury. And I, I had some in our loving profession go, that's a negative suggestion. You're reinforcing. I'm like, well, you get out and run 26 miles and tell me your body's not sore. <laughs> exactly. Student in a class one time, super marathon runner, and someone's like, how do you run 50 miles without your feet getting sore? And her response was, she's like, of course they get sore. (laughs) But it's building that mentality that, okay, well, as you said, life happens. 
And if this thing occurs, here's what I know to do right. about it. Hypnosis, which is, is not, which is not taking. Oh, yes, that's what, exactly where I was going to go. It's not taking away the magic of it. It's calling out the reality of it. Yeah, it's like I, I just don't want them to think that this is going to be magic and that it solves everything. It gives you the tools and the resources to move past it easier. And maybe, I mean, it can feel magical. I mean, you know, we've all seen really magical things kind of happen where people are just so much feeling so much more resourceful and can function with things. But I don't like setting expectations too high. And I think there's that fine line between, ooh, do I promise? I mean, I don't promise, but where do you fall? Do You, you don't want people to have over expectations, but you yeah. want them to believe it's going to change. Yeah, I mean, the thing around asking expectations of, you know, if this issue is gone, what's going to be different? Uh, just so I know what to say, if it's only 20% there, if it's dramatically down, what's going to be different? Mm -hmm. But setting those expectations so we're not, you know, just building the mindset of helping someone to cope with the problem, but to resolve it, move past it, and prevent it as a result. Yes, yes, I think that's important. So you brought up neuroscience a little while ago. If mm -hmm. we had to kind of define it down and ask, what are some of those main teaching points? What are some of the main principles you might share with your clients? What, what might those be? Well, um, the neurons that fire together, wire together, you know, it's that yeah. keeping those pathways going. And I use the analogy that if you are setting your GPS to go to California, or you want to go to California, but you're setting your GPS to go to Florida, you're never going to get to California. So it's the, it's in your brain. If you keep thinking those old thoughts, that reticular activating system, I explain that one a lot, how focusing on what you want to happen is going to show you more of that. Mm -hmm. We just We just put a new porch and a porch railing on our house. So I was looking at everybody's railings all over every neighborhood. And oh my gosh, I thought we'd done it. It's there. It's like, okay, what can I focus on now? Because all I'm seeing are railings and I need to get that out of my head. So I do explain that one a lot with people. And I think once they get it, it starts making sense that, yeah, if I keep talking about the old problem, it's going to, I'm going to keep noticing that. That and a lot of things about such a simple thing that I use and explain is that move away technique where, you know, your brain codes those things that are up close as important, overwhelming or scary. Somebody that's afraid of a spider isn't picturing a tiny little spider across the room. It's in their face. And so just the idea of having the sense of moving it away can make such a huge difference for people having that space to solve a problem because now it's over there and your brain's not going to say, oh, it's not important. I'm not going to take care of it. It just gives you space to make a move. Well, can you, can you walk us through like some of the language that you would use to introduce that theme? You know, some people obviously visualize better and they get a clear picture, but I try to make that not a prerequisite. So get a sense of that idea of the next time you are reaching for that bottle of alcohol, that wine bottle that you're saying you want to drink less of. So when you have a sense of that, you know, it's a clear, is it a picture? And I always use a, is it like, is it within arm's length, that idea in your mind's eye? If it's within arm's length, I'm going to ask you to almost telescope it out across down the street, around the block, just a tiny little thing, like it's a little cell phone sitting over there. And, you know, you couldn't possibly really see what it says from here. And let me know when you do that. And, you know, if there's a sound, turn it down, you know, 
blur out the image, but make it small, move it away. And now that you've done that, I want you to notice if there's anything between you and that bottle of wine out there, is there metaphorically, is it a, a beam of light, a chain, a rubber band? Is there anything that kind of pulls it back? And if they say yes, I'm like, well, okay, what would you do to get rid of that? Would you cut it or burn it or, you know, and they do that. Or if there's nothing there, I'm like, good. Now, what's that like as you sit here noticing way over there that old bottle? And it always is like, I don't, it just doesn't seem that important to me. And I, that's right. As it's not very important, how can you, what do you imagine doing as you come into your house after a hard day of work and you're stressed? What are you imagining doing now? And I loop that back around over and over. So nice. that's kind of what I would do. Are you doing that just from a conversational foundation? Just a conversational. That? Yeah. Yeah. And and I I might have the answer, but I'd love to hear yours. Uh, are you inviting eye closure or are they just sometimes doing that on their own because they can process it better that way? I usually invite eye closure and say you don't have to, but it might help you imagine this as you close nice. your eyes. Yeah, because some people don't process better with their eyes closed, but I always think I do. So I always assume they're going, they should, but I try to keep that open-ended. I, uh, quick story on that. I, part of my history of all of this was the game of, again, mapping out like this five-year plan of I'm going to take these trainings from these people. These are the ones I've identified at the industry I want to learn from. And then looked at the other calendar of going, we've made the decision to start a family next year. Hey, I'm going to do everything now. Uh, <laughs> just get it done. But it was a, it was an NLP training I went to and the person was very much of a purest way of doing everything mm -hmm. and was the, you never have to ask them to close their eyes. They don't have to, which that's in most of the Bandler and Grinda books, damn it. Uh, but <laughs> from his purest standpoint was insisting you don't have to. So I was working in that way with somebody and I'm like, just imagine this thing over here. And what happens when you blur it? He goes, I see a table. What do you mean? He goes, I'm looking at the table over there. I don't see the thing you're having me imagine. And I'm just like, screw it. And close your eyes and imagine. Close and he goes, yeah. all right, I got it now. I'm like, okay, let's just work yeah. with real people here. <laughs> yeah, right. I think most, the majority of people visualize better. And I try to be careful of using those, you know, specific words, see and look and all those. And like, just imagine, get a sense of it. I use that yeah. word a lot. I like that one a lot. Too. Yeah. I'm teaching now and I'm having to really, you know, get students to be sure to open end those things because it's so easy to get caught in now see this and picture that and you just not everybody's going to do that and then it's going to make it harder for them to do it or they're going to be confused and and sometimes it's just that specificity of language I can visualize I can create the cinematic response but when you use the phrase see it in your mind's eye I suddenly go what the hell does that mean Mhm mm which is going to work for millions of other people, but for that one person, it's going to eliminate. And I love what you just said there of just get a sense of, mm -hmm. imagine, think about, less words can do it. You've mentioned the trainings that you uh, offer. Can you tell us more about those? Yes, I took your training with Richard Nongard in, I think, 2018. And when everybody was writing content, writing books and doing things during the pandemic, I was baking and gardening nice. and just <laughs> couldn't quite focus on it. And so I finally got it together and just am in the, we just had the third class of my 10 week class, the first one last night. And um, it's just exciting. It's exciting to see people and the people in my group are all healers in their own right in different ways. And 
it's just exciting to be introducing this to other people. And my first hypnosis training was less than stellar. And so I had to seek out a lot of training. So I always thought if I ever taught hypnosis, I would want to make sure they really had a good basic understanding, which of course, in a hundred hour class is just the tip of the iceberg. But I'm just having fun introducing things and being curious about what they, their spin on things and how they do it. You mentioned they were in other healing sort of professions, like what kind of uh, people? Well, Reiki, I think yeah. there's several Reiki and a massage therapist and TRE person, trauma release exercise person, and actually someone who's a medical intuitive and a healer in her own right that way. So they all come with something. I'm trying to just pretend they don't know anything at all so mm -hmm. that I don't assume <laughs> what they do know. So yeah, but it's a learning experience for me as well. And I'm already planning on my next class in September and thinking, okay, this, it'll be even more polished then. But um, yeah, I suggest anybody take your class in a, I'm sure it's much different now instead of lasting two days. Wasn't, isn't it like eight days now or something? Well, that, yeah, you're talking about the train, the trainer. And I yes, believe train the trainer. We're, yeah, we're recording this in June and this will come out probably in August, just based on our schedule. I think we're going to mm -hmm. do one in the fall. Uh, but just an update, and you'll you'll get access to these videos too, is that we've adopted that hybrid approach for the train the trainer as well, where now there's longer videos to watch in a library, which makes the real-time online training even more valuable because now it becomes, let's now discuss this. Let's now put this into work so we're accomplishing more in less time and providing a better experience that way. Uh, so yeah, we'll put links to that in the show notes too. Yeah. What's the website that people can go to, to check out your trainings or even track you down? Um, so my website is Tony, T-O-N-I, Macri, M-A-C-R-I dash Reiner, R-E-I-N-E-R.com. A lot of I's and E's or Indiana Hypnosis for Change. They go to the same place. My training is called Integrated Hypnosis Training because I do, it isn't just totally hypnosis. I do teach some techniques that are more NLP-ish and a few NLP concepts in it, um, even though it is a hypnosis training course. So um, yeah, those are both ways to reach me or to check out my training. The next one will be September 15th. And it is a hybrid approach as well, where they're watching, they're doing pre-class work, watching videos, practicing, and then we meet once a week and um, answer questions. I go over more things and they practice with each other. Outstanding. And we'll put links to those in the show notes. Uh, this will be episode number 337. We now make this easy for you. If you go to worksmarthypnosis.com forward slash 337. That'll just point right back over to the show notes where you can find all of those links. Uh, Tony, it's been awesome having this conversation with you and uh, capturing it for everybody to hear. Before we wrap it up, any final thoughts for the listeners out there? Just if you're already a hypnotist, just embrace it, enjoy it, which I think most people do. If you're thinking about becoming a hypnotist, check it out because it's such an awesome way to help people and help yourself and make a living. Jason Lynette here once again. And as always, thank you so much for interacting with this program, leaving your reviews online, subscribing, sharing it into your social media streams and getting it tattooed in various parts of your body. You can head over to the show notes. That's new. You can head over to the show notes at worksmarthypnosis.com forward slash 337 to see how to best get in contact with Tony, find the details of this conversation. While you're there too, check out hypnoticworkers.com. When you have systems for change, it takes out the guesswork of what we do. 
What happens when the client shows up and they want to work on something differently than what you talked about on the phone? Rather than that spiking fear and concern and trepidation in your soul, you're going to learn the systems for change in which every technique now becomes a universal approach so you can modify it for basically anything that walks in the door. So many in our profession say the client writes the script for you. I think they say that because it's popular. You're going to learn how to ask the right questions at the right time. So there's a definite through line all the way from the intake, through the pre-talk, through the inductions you choose, through the methods for change to build that unstoppable confidence in your hypnotic skills. Check that out. Get instant on-demand access at hypnoticworkers.com. Thanks for listening to the Work Smart Hypnosis Podcast at worksmarthypnosis.com. 